Forgotten Hollywood with Chris Wineland is a production of Revive Studios. In the late 1990s, a pastor in China was arrested for wanting to start a church in his hometown. The man was beaten and later placed in a re-education camp where they subjected him to something kind of odd. During the day, you see, he would do manual labor, but during the night, that's when the real re-education would happen. After exhausting his body, the Chinese government would force him and everyone at the camp to watch television. But not just any television, no, they were forced to watch the news. You see, the Chinese government has long since seen the news as a psychological tool for brainwashing, but so has other groups, companies, and individuals since the very beginning of its creation. I'm Chris Wineland, and this is the podcast that combines Hollywood stories you might know with Christian stories you don't know. This is Forgotten Hollywood. On today's episode, we're going to dive into the history and power of journalism, news, and its long-standing history of corruption and control. Some of these stories may not surprise you, but some will certainly leave you in a bit of shock. Before I dive into the forgotten history of the news, let's play a game. You can answer it out loud wherever you're listening, and uh, let's see if you guessed it right. So here we go. Here's the question. When was the first newspaper invented? Was it A, 1901, B, 1318, C, 90 AD, or D, 1605? Well, we're going to see if you got that right in just a minute, but first, here's a little bit of background on me and my own run-in with the news. It was only a few years ago that I was nervously sitting in a meeting uh, with a, uh, a bunch of powerful people for a news show as I was going to be working on this brand new, really, really popular national news network. Now, I, uh, because I've been in the entertainment industry for a while, I have quite a bit of non-disclosure agreements that I've signed in my day. Therefore, I'm not going to tell you what this show is. Uh, good luck guessing, but uh, I'm not gonna even going to give you a bit of a hint. But I will say that this conversation I had in the office was quite real. I was sitting in this office about to start a brand new news show. Now, usually, I've been in the entertainment industry for 13 years. I've done late night shows, national stand-up, performing everywhere in international tours. So mainly, I've been more focused on making fun of the news than I have been actually being on the news. But when I landed this uh, job... It was for a a very high-end news show, and the people that had worked on this show or were working on the show, they had also worked on Fox News, CNN, and various other extremely famous news networks. And so they're sitting with me, about to kind of bring me in to to par with what it is I need to know before I get onto this show in front of 4 million people and explain the news. So they sat me down. And the one executive producer of the show, he said, now, Chris, I'm sure you don't need to know this, but we're going to tell you anyway the basics of a news show. And I'm thinking in my head, like, well, I love the news. I've listened to the news since I was a kid. I'm pretty sure I know everything about it. But what they said, I had never heard before. And so what they basically said was, well, Chris, one thing you need to know is that the news does not tell the news. And they all looked at me and I just said, mm, mm, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 to- totally. Um, what you're saying makes makes all the sense, of course. 
But deep down, I'm like, what are you talking about? And so they continued. They said, well, news sells three things, fear, sex, and greed. All three things get viewers and viewers get sponsors and sponsors get money. So I nodded my head and the rest of the meeting, I'm just sitting here like, I'm sorry, what did you just say to me? But of course, I, I couldn't let them know that. So I'm like finishing out the meeting. I just want to get home so I can process that I was just told that the news does not tell the news. Now, I, I may be a little bit of naive, but uh, I really thought that the news told news, right? Am I the only one here that really thought that's what the news did? Um, but uh, apparently it doesn't. And I, I grew up in a, in a household where not only was the news considered good to listen to, but it was even considered healthy. So I had grown up in my 20s having the news on every single morning. I would love to have cereal and then watch my favorite news channels. Well, after that conversation, the very next morning, I turned on my normal news channel to watch, and I could not get over the fact that I was told that they sell three things, fear, sex, and greed. And so there I was watching my used-to-be favorite news channel, and all of a sudden, what do I see? Well, the top news stories talking about the fear of terrorists, guns, sickness, and then sex scandals out of Hollywood and, you know, D.C. and the greed of the politicians or the president, you know, fear, sex, and greed. It was only in the middle of the show that I noticed the fluff pieces about feel-good stories. Other than that, the entire hour was flooded with those three things. So once my eyes were opened, I started to do my research on the history of journalism and the news, and I learned that the news uh, has had its history of power to manipulate and brainwash even since its inception. For those that played my little game a few minutes ago, let's see if you guessed correctly. The answer to the question of when was the very first newspaper created? Was it 1901, 1318, 90 AD, or 1605? The answer was D, 1605. Uh, the, The question was slightly misleading as there could technically be a few answers to the birth of the news. For instance, the history of written news dates back to the Roman Empire around 59 BC. But, uh, you know, so because of that, historians will kind of accredit Rome to that. But before the printing press, written news was not a tangible idea. So we really only have one kind of example in Rome, uh, and that was 59 BC. But the, the most, of, uh, most historians will popularly believe 1605 is your answer. Before the uh, printing press was invented, though, word of mouth was the primary source of news, which is kind of interesting to, to think about. These merchants and sailors and travelers, they were, the, they were the gossipers back then. They were the ones that really went around talking. And so uh, that got picked up by other people that were traveling. And so news would kind of spread verbally from town to town. Now, obviously, that kind of news was not very valid or, or, or easy to trust. So fast forward over to when we get into 1605, thanks to... Um, the printing press, we were able to actually see news. So the first recorded newspaper was in 1605 by German publisher Johann Karolos. Now, I'm not very good at pronouncing German, even though I myself am German. So please, ancestors, don't be mad at me. Um, I'm pretty sure Johann is pronounced correctly. Karolos is probably not. Um, so you can Google it and then uh, write me and tell me I'm, I'm terribly wrong with my pronunciation. But Johann was born in 1575 in the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation. 
He was the son of a priest. So, yeah, you thought that your pastor's kid knew all the news and did all the talking around town. But no, this guy was the start of all of it, okay? So don't ever underestimate what a pastor's kid can do. Um, Johan, he became an apprentice as a bookbinder and later worked as a bookseller, a scribe, and a print shop owner. Because of these professions, uh, especially his job as a scribe, he held very good relationships with postmen and trades traders, which is really good because that helped him to be able to get the first newspaper created and pushed out. So the first newspaper is called, uh, uh, let's try it in German. It's called Realoschen aller Fermanen. I'm so sorry, ancestors. Here's what it means. Account of all distinguished and commemorable stories. Let's stick to English for me. Um, so that was the name of the very first newspaper to ever existed. Um, and it was called Account of All Distinguished and Commemorable Stories. Now, after the initial newspaper was published, Europe really took to the news. Now, one thing to know is the very first, um, the very first newspaper of that can't really be found. But a couple years later, you can you can find one in 1609. You can Google it. They have pictures of it, um, which is great. But 1605, we know for a fact, was the first one. We just don't have many copies of that. So after 1605, after the very initial newspaper, this is interesting to me, is that Europe really took to the news around this time. And the reason I find that very interesting is because France in particular uh, was going through a revolution. And the, the Revolutionary War in France was, you know, that had gone on for quite a while. But France in particular, they tried to use the news to censor and control the people during a rather tenacious time in their history. Why is that interesting? Well, that's interesting because the very first newspaper in France was actually established by the king himself. It was King Louis XIII, and he created a, a newspaper called Gazette de France. Look at me, I could pronounce that one correctly. And that was in 1632. Now, his idea was to uh, publish it with censorship, and he served it as instruments of propaganda for the monarchy. Now, it was very... Um, true that that was the reason, like he wasn't hiding it. He had that as the whole reason of having a newspaper. The reason I find that interesting is because that was 1632. And when was the very beginning of the newspapers? 1605. So only a couple decades later did a powerful man say, I can use this to my ability. I can use this for my own power. It didn't take very long for anybody to realize that they can use the newspapers for their own power. So censorship is is one thing, and um, you know the King Louis he had done this and he used it for censorship. He also served it um, as propaganda to go against the people that were against him. Well, also during at the height of the French Revolution, there was uh, somebody that was in the uh, revolt part, and he had created his own newspaper. And this is just a, a fun fact to know, but he created his own newspaper to go against the monarchy. And it got so crazy and so tension feeling there that he actually got assassinated. And they believe it was due to him really pushing out his own agenda of trying to get the monarchy out through the newspaper. So censorship and, and the, the reason behind a newspaper, we see at the very beginning of the 1600s already, right when the invention was made, um, censorship is a thing. It's, it's a really crazy and notable thing to see in newspapers. But what about lying? Well, uh, there's a well-documented example that I love. I find it very humorous, and I just uh, enjoy sharing it. So let's fast forward to the 1800s America with a woman 
by the name of Florence Foster Jenkins. Now, there's a great movie by the same name played by Meryl Streep. She does a fantastic job of describing this woman's life. But in case you're not aware, I'm going to kind of explain this woman to you. In the late 1800s to early 1900s, Florence Foster Jenkins would perform at exclusive venues to approved audience members in New York City. And it was only approved audience members, and she would also um, perform to only approved journalists. Now, these approved journalists would come to the shows, and they would write reviews about Florence's singing ability as memorable and performances you can't miss. The only problem was that the misleading of these highly positive reviews, because Florence Foster Jenkins was one of the worst singers to ever live. Okay, I'm not even exaggerating. I have to share this with you. Here is a real soundbite from one of her most listened to songs. Here you go. told you I was not exaggerating. This was recorded in one take, mind you, after many years of positive reviews. Now, there's a debate over whether or not Florence Foster Jenkins actually knew she was a bad singer. A lot of people believe that she uh, did know and she was playing with it. And a lot of people believe that there's no way she knew because the positive reviews kept supporting it. And so one day after all of those positive reviews, she walks into a recording studio without letting anybody in her uh, team or her partner know. And she just goes right in, does one recording, sends it to a radio station. And then people, the people start to hear this all over the radio. And they say, well, wait a second. I thought Florence Foster Jenkins was a really great singer because that's what all of these newspapers uh, reviewed it as, as her being wonderful and memorable and all these things. But as it turns out, the journalists um, were really just, well, there's a couple of uh, theories actually as to why they uh, replied the way that, that they did, which I'll get to in one second. Um, but the, the question does, of course, remain, well, why are there so many positive reviews during that? Because when she came out with the song, um, there was other journalists that started to review it very terribly. And in fact, at Florence Foster Jenkins' most biggest show, which was the Carnegie Hall, they had uh, several unapproved um, people come in and they <laughs> reviewed quite negatively her performance. And until that moment, there were at least five or six years of positive reviews from newspapers that were leading newspapers, not just local newspapers. No, these guys were leading and they were reviewing it. Well, there's a couple of reasons as to why this had happened. First, the journalists tried to claim that it was in good taste. They said that they saw her artistic expression as enjoyable. So that's why they were able to get away with things like memorable as, as the word for that. Um, but there's a different belief that these journalists were actually paid off to review in a positive light. Florence Foster Jenkins had a lot of money um, to go into you know numbers nowadays because uh, obviously the money looked very different back then than they do now. People would assume that basically she was probably about a billionaire. Um, and so she had quite a bit of money. The people that 
that she worked with and um, her romance partner, he in particular was known as the type of person that possibly was the one paying off these journalists. And so there's, there's a lot of theory behind it that she or the partner or somebody else had paid these journalists to say that she was great. Uh, well, the problem with that is that the people are led astray um, and pretty much into a complete lie, believing that this woman is a good singer, when in fact, as you heard yourself, she's absolutely terrible. So um, how could they get away with it? Well, that's kind of the idea of the history of journalism. We see it even at the very beginning and, and here in the 1800s, that what if somebody can just get away with lying or saying that, you know, it's sort of good or it's, it's, I didn't mean it like that. You know, journalists can try to use a little bit of artistic integrity or lack of artistic integrity, really, um, to be able to spin it for their own gain. And so, uh, you know, either way, due to the press, what was interesting about this case is that the public, even though they believed she was a good singer before, they got to hear for themselves. And even though they all uh, agreed that it was a terrible voice, she actually became rather popular for her time. Um, and to this day, actually, the, the audio clip that I sent you is over at like uh, over a million views on YouTube because the, the voice is almost so bad, you have to hear it. Um, it, it it's cringeable. It's, you know, b before cringe movies and cringe media was a thing, um, it, it was quite a thing uh, with her. And so uh, the interesting part, though, is to know that the public got to hear for themselves and they got to create their own opinions on it. And we're going to talk later on in the season, of course, about what media can do and what people can think or, or, or what people can believe after they hear media. But when the news is the only thing you can get and you don't hear media or you don't hear the music or you don't see... Um, you know, the, the person for yourself, well, you have to trust the news. So what happens when the news is lying? Well, there, there's been cases all over, and obviously Florence Foster Jenkins is a, is a wonderfully humorous one. But in 1959, we also see a case from Lenny Bruce. Now, Lenny Bruce is a legendary comedian. If, uh, if you know your comedy history at all, this guy is on the Mount Rushmore of comedy. And mainly that's because he challenged um, being up on stage and, and having the right, uh, and, and as we would say, the, you know, the First Amendment right, to be able to say pretty much whatever you want on stage. And so the, the fact that to this day, any comedian can get up on stage and say anything they want is really attributed to Lenny Bruce because Lenny Bruce said, I should have creative ability to speak on whatever I want. And so he would challenge people a lot. He challenged um, the Pope. He would make fun of the Pope. He would make fun of the Catholic Church. And at that time in the 1950s, that's the last thing you would ever want to do. Um, and he also challenged the news. And so we, we move forward into 1959 where Lenny Bruce has his own TV show randomly. And I, I always think anytime I see clips of Lenny Bruce, I think, who gave this to him? Because when I tell you this man took full advantage of any time he was in front of the stage, he would not go easy. He would challenge anything he could think of that would make other people cringe or feel uncomfortable. And so Lenny Bruce, to me, cracks me up anytime I see a clip. But in this particular TV show he had in the late 50s, Lenny Bruce wanted to make a point that the news is simply a lie. That's his term. The news is simply 
a lie. And I want you to hear this clip of him reading the same news story from multiple news sources. And I want you to focus as, focus on the differences that you're about to hear. First part of the show where I call myself a liar. Uh, actually, uh, that's, you know, it's all uh, tricks and devices uh, that are used. That's what entertainment is uh, devised, you know, uh, trick theories. But that's an interesting theory, too. Then by that, I'm saying that the biggest comedians are liars, you know. Well, that's not so. Uh, I, I, I got an example here. These are papers. Let's see what's today here. This is June the 19th. This is 1957. But I really love them, and I've always saved them. Because I, they show uh, how newspapers, you know, use uh, sensationalism, you know, which is a lie and an entertainment medium to swing and prove a point. This is concerning the Melchior robbery. Now, these are actually legit newspapers. This was the morning, and this, this, is, this is all LA, Los Angeles. Uh, four gunmen barned and robbed Melchior of $100,000. Now, later on that day, in the Examiner, Lawrence Melchior, $125,000 holdup. Ready? It's all on the same day. The Citizen News, Melchior robbers get $139,771. Right? Three gunmen robbed and barn Melchior of $250,000. It's nice. You can really believe what you read in the newspapers. Okay. Now, later on that day, the... No, there's the next day, the Melchior robbery was solved, and they got back the $90,000. The New York Times didn't even confirm there was a guy such as Melchior. <laughs> Lenny uses the term sensationalism. And especially in journalism, the term sensationalism is to use exciting, shocking stories or, or using language at the expense of accuracy in order to provoke public interest or excitement. And as you can see in this clip, the news, all of the newspapers use sensationalism quite terribly to uh, try to change the story for their own viewership. And that, that becomes kind of where I started in this whole story, where, where I realized that the news is doing things, a lot of the news channels, news stations, news TV shows, they tend to do things for their own gain. So whether that's political gain or a, a power uh, you know, pull, or whether it's just simply viewership and making more money, sensationalism can be used in the news in order to get what somebody wants or what the newspaper wants. And so uh, what about influence, though? You know, I, I was thinking about this because uh, the other stories, they talk about how can, you know, how, how can we change a, a, a political outcome? How can we change um, a, a review on somebody? How can we gain viewership? But what about how can we influence the people? Well, in Ed McMahon's book, Here's Johnny, Ed McMahon explains the time that they cause people to panic about something that, well, has become quite prophetic in our generation, to say the least. Uh, of all the shortages we have, there's a gasoline shortage. You know what else is disappearing from the supermarket shelves? Toilet paper. Ha ha ha, you can laugh now. Ed explains in his book that in 1973, Johnny had received his list of monologue jokes as normal. One happened to be about a massive toilet paper shortage. 
So the king of late night cracked a few jokes on the toilet paper shortage. There is an acute shortage of toilet paper in the good old United States. We gotta quit writing on it. But I wanna tell you, it is serious. I just saw a commercial where, I know it's coming, uh, where Mrs. Olson comes in with a shopping bag and the housewife says, forget the coffee, just give me the shopping bag. I wanna tell you. Now, it's important to know that in 1973, there seemed to be an exorbitant amount of shortages, oil scares, and economic stresses. So I guess you can't, you can't really blame the people for being a little jumpy when they heard about toilet paper shortage. But as it turns out, even though there were other scares, toilet paper was not one of them. That's right. They had found out the very next day after telling this story on The Tonight Show that the toilet paper story was actually a fabricated story from a news article that was um, trying to gain viewership. So The Tonight Show, they didn't discover it until the next day that it was a fake story. But by then, Johnny Carson's 20 million viewerships had already taken to, to panic. See, the, the, he was one of the highest, most watched TV shows at the time. And so 20 million people hearing that there's a toilet paper shortage. Well, I guess 20 million people are going to go out and freak out. Well, that's exactly what happened. Millions of Americans across the country flooded their local grocery and convenience stores, totally wiping them clean of all toilet paper. One consumer actually told New York Times that after hearing it on the news and, and through Johnny Carson, they bought an extra 15 rolls. Another woman asked her party guest to arrive with a roll of toilet paper. Is anybody else getting PTSD? Because we had that quite literally recently. But in the 1970s, when this happened, it was actually based on a lie. There was no toilet paper shortage. But because Carson announced this fake, false news article on his show, which was one of the most watched shows of all time at that moment, um, Carson had a problem. He had to go back on and apologize. And he told people to stop buying toilet paper. Well, guess what? It didn't work. People were still buying toilet paper at a record point that there was actually toilet paper shortages for the next few months because of a lie. So it's quite interesting to see that, and it's through this humorous story, of course, that uh, influence can come through a news story even if the news story is fake. It can influence millions of people. Um, and, and, you know, I, I love this quote that Johnny Carson said. He said, I don't want to be remembered as the man who created a false toilet paper scare. I just picked up the item from the paper and I enlarged it somewhat. There is no shortage. And he kept trying to say that for a couple of months. And people still were influenced by a story that they believed to be true, even though it wasn't and it became true. Uh, and then obviously in the, uh, you know, 2020, it became quite true for all of us, but I don't believe that that was related to this um, false article uh, uh, at all. Um, so we get to see what had happened all throughout history of newspapers and, and the news and the media. And so, uh, you know, now it all kind of makes sense when you look at all of this and then you connect it back to what I had talked about in the beginning of the episode, which is China taking advantage and using the news as a brainwashing tool. Uh, because it doesn't have to be true, it can just be influential. And so that, that was the idea. And one thought that I had um, as a Christian is that you know even though the news itself is not always accurate, if we go all the way back to Jesus's time, 
This is what makes the Gospels so unique because everybody that saw Jesus's resurrection, which was quite a lot of people in that time, one of the things that historians will argue, or not even argue, but one of the things that the historians will reveal, and some of them regretfully if they don't believe in the Lord, is that they will say, I don't know how it happened, but when people back then retold the story of what they saw of Jesus's resurrection, none of them contradicted each other. Now, that's very, very hard to do, especially when the news didn't exist back then in Jesus's time. Of course it didn't. But now take into effect that word of mouth didn't go very well. And yet you see the story of Jesus told by many, many people of their own eyewitness accounts, and they all line up. None of them contradicted each other at all. And so I, I bring that up in the middle of this uh, news entertainment history podcast because I find it quite unique that the, the, the Gospels themselves are more accurate than newspapers that were made in 1609, right? Like you can see the accuracy of that as opposed to uh, the French Revolution newspapers that were trying to manipulate people because Jesus is the truth. And so Jesus claimed to be the truth. And in the back, uh, back then, everybody uh, that had eyewitness accounts would always point to the fact that, that obviously Jesus must have been the truth because none of it contradicted itself at all. And so, you know, uh, as, as Christians, as we look into the news and everything like that, I think it's just important in this episode to realize that although the news can be false and influential, uh, the Word of God has always been true and uh, is the best kind of influence. And that's pretty much it. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned some things, whether it be the manipulation and the power of the news from the very beginning or the printing press or the fact that a pastor's kid could actually be influential. Um, or, of course, if you were just really intrigued about Florence Foster Jenkins and, uh, and I was able to help lead you into her horribly wonderful music, um, I, I hope that this episode did a, a, a job of influencing you in a positive way. And uh, I'm looking forward to you listening to our next podcast coming up very soon. For more information on Forgotten Hollywood, visit my website at chriswyman.com. You can also find all of my source material from this episode and other past episodes on my page as well. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Comedy. We'll be back next week with another surprising episode of Forgotten Hollywood.